Hi friends, join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. Hi, friends. Welcome back to Becoming Buffy. We hope you guys had a wonderful July. We had a great break, but we are so excited and so ready to be back with you all for season five. I just, as I know we say this all the time, but this one just especially blows my mind. I've always said when doing the podcast that if we can just make it to season five, I will consider that a great accomplishment. Because let's be real, like podcasting takes a lot of work and a lot of podcasts, especially Buffy podcasts, fizzle out after around season three. Um, And after doing season four, I kind of understand why. (laughs) But I'm just blown away by the fact that we're about to start our fifth season of the podcast. yeah, and it's my favorite season, and it's season five, and I'm just – I'm so excited. How do you guys feel about starting season five? I'm so glad season four is over. <laughs> I'm I'm glad that season four is over, but I also – it's honestly surreal. I feel like every time we start a new season, I, like, forget that we're not in season, like, two anymore. Yeah. Um, it's just so, so, so weird, and it's just so fun. I feel like so many things that we've been mentioning in the – the spoiler section for literally years are like we get to talk about now and yeah oh my gosh especially in this episode like there's just so much that we finally get to talk about and I'm just excited I'm so excited I love season five um and there's just so much to talk about whereas I feel like season four there's just not a lot to talk about and we made it. We made it through. We did it. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> no, and I mean, I'm proud of the work that we did in season four. And there was definitely more to it by the time we got to the end. I was like, okay, I kind of see where they were going. But it just wasn't very fun for me personally to talk about or to watch versus season five. I'm just like, oh, I can't wait. Uh, but before we jump into the episode, I actually have a surprise for you guys. Um, so season yeah. five, the themes – I know. You guys are like shocked. Um, I have a little secret for you guys that I've been holding back. Um, so season five is about family theme-wise. Uh, it's about a couple other things, but the big one is family, um, specifically like sisterhood. And uh, season five holds a special place in my heart because all of us relate with Buffy in some way or the other. Like. We just, if you don't relate with Buffy, then what are you doing listening to a podcast about Buffy? Like, it's just, we love our heroine. We love our main character. Um, And when I was younger, watching Buffy for the first time, the thing that made me resonate with her so much was her uh, bond with her sister, who we now know that she has. Um, And obviously, this is going to be a big season when it comes to that. And so, I know this is like mild spoilers, but who cares? Um, But... With when watching season five, I just came to understand and relate with Buffy on a much more profound and in depth level. And that's because of you guys. When watching season five, I just related so much with Buffy because of my love for you guys, uh, which we'll go into more later. Um, So I wanted to do something special for you guys to celebrate not only our sisterhood, the fact that we're doing a podcast together, but because it's season five. And so I had a little something made for you guys. Um, On Instagram, there's a creator. Is what's his face draws. He does amazing drawings of every single outfit that Buffy wears on the show. Oh, dang. And 
they are his own creations and they're so freaking cute. You guys should go look them up sometime. Sometimes he does like Willow and a few other people, but mostly it's Buffy. I think he's currently working on season seven right now, um, but they're just amazing. And I think his art style is so cute and distinctive. And I loved it so much that I asked him to create you guys in the style of his. <laughs> so um, I'm going to send it to you guys now. And, and then I'm going to send this to him and he's going to get to hear your guys' reactions of it. Oh, my gosh. That's so sweet. That's so cute. That's why I asked you guys for, like, uh, your full body. Pictures. I totally <laughs> forgot you did that. When you said that, I was like, I was like, full body. I was like, who needs full body photos? I What I thought you were going to do was just going to be like, season five, here's updated photos of us. But then I was like, why is like full body? Like, it's very specific, okay. right? Yeah. I yeah. didn't question it that much. So I was like, eh, I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> You're just giving your image out to me to use for whatever. Um, Tabby, yours was a little bit harder because I didn't have a full body image. So we kind of had to like make some things up. And I know we didn't get it 100% accurate, but I think we did a pretty good job. They give um, Tabby like hippopotam- uh, hippopotamus legs. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> what it was. tail. That's my yeah. plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to send it to you guys on our group chat over here. And you can see. And I'm these scared. will be live on our Instagram this week. So you guys all can see. And shout out to What's His Face Draws. Oh my gosh, that's oh, so, so cute. cute. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, how adorable. The, the little rings. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's really, so let me see cute. Yours. Oh, that is so you. That's so cute. <laughs> I love the little detail of Tabby, your name on your yeah, Starbucks tabs. cups. Tabs. <laughs> I'm dead. That's adorable. Oh my gosh, I I wish I looked that cute. That's so cute. You do <laughs> look that cute. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh my god, the rings and bracelet and necklace, very on brand. So this is very accurate. Thank you. This is. Did so you have cute. Did you have him do one of you? I did not, and now I'm regretting it because I think yeah, that would be really what? cute. Yeah, I didn't. Dude, no, me. If you, dude. Ask him to make one for you and me and Tabby will pay for it. Okay. Yeah. Hey, what's his face draws? If you hear that, we want one of me. I'll send you some yes, stuff. Yes, please. Have <laughs> <laughs> all three of us. He's, yeah. Actually, we could put it together and maybe we'll yeah, use it Get it, it framed. For some, oh, yeah, that'd be get so framed. cute. <laughs> that would be really cute. Isn't his art style so cute and unique? It's Very adorable. Cute. It reminds me of something like some sort of game or something when I yeah. was growing up, but I, I can't picture like which exactly game yeah i don't know yeah but shout out to what's his face draws check out his artwork on instagram thank you so much for doing this and he actually he tells me he listens to our podcast while he draws these while he draws all the pictures of buffy so cute yeah which is pretty great tabby and i are so easy please (laughs) (laughs) i know but anyway all right happy season five to you guys and let's jump in all right, so season five, episode one, Buffy versus Dracula, written by Leah's favorite, Marty Noxon, directed by David Solomon. <laughs> I knew, the- bro. I watched this episode. I, <laughs> there's I watched a sexual episode. undertone. There's always a sexual undertone. I will say, watching this episode, it's better than I remember. Because mm-hmm. um, this episode is one that sticks out to me from season five in kind of a bad way. Like, it's just one that I don't prefer. Um, it's not bad. It's still from season five, so it's good. But, uh, it just, it always just was weird to me. Like, I just kind of was like, what? Like, why Dracula? Like, it makes it feel, it almost takes me out of the Buffyverse. It's like almost a little too meta for me. Um, and it's weirdly sexual and I, (laughs) I hate that. 
Uh, yes. Um, well, you are not alone in thinking that. So, uh, th- yeah, this episode aired September 26, 2000. So this is the first ever season premiere that is not written by Joss. Every single opener has been written by him in every single finale so far, with the exception of this, this episode. So Joss says, for season five, the mission statement was family. When you think you've moved on and grown up and moved out of the house and living your life, family comes back. You realize that they're always a part of your life. Some of that's good and some of that's bad. Also, a very strong message with me is you make your own family, or sometimes it's made for you. David Fury says, we went into the season feeling that we needed to find a way to get to the moment that defined the series, and that's what the last couple of episodes dealt with. It was great that in the end, Buffy just becomes the girl who's fighting vampires again. Barty Noxon says, some of it was about bringing the Scooby gang more together. They were a little fractured last year. So sort of the gang's all here was part of our mandate to make the relationships a little closer, a little less estranged, and then we're gunning towards a hundredth episode, which is a pretty big landmark. One of our mandates was just to make it a hell of a ride. So this season is going to be about family, as I mentioned before. Um, It's also about Buffy discovering the true nature of the Slayer. It's it's so funny. Season four, I was kind of like, okay, what's the theme? How do we like grasp this? This season has a very clearly defined theme. I think probably more so than pretty much any other season. It's it's pretty it's pretty clear. <laughs> yeah, I love it though. Yeah, no, I, I do like too. that. It's it's so it's not like ambiguous. It's simple. Like it's it's simple because I feel like the there's so much that happens in this season that, and I think also coming off of season four. They kind of learn from their mistakes and they're like, Mm -hmm. you know what? Instead of like making the theme more abstract, we're going to make the theme really simple and obvious, but we're going to make it like kind of interwoven into a lot of different things, Mm -hmm. which is a way more cohesive way to make a season by far. I mean, it, it shows. Um, so the twist at the end, which we will talk about, uh, when it gets to there, um, if you thought it was bad that you would have to wait until the next week to find out who this mysterious sister of Buffy's is in Australia, this episode was shown as the series four finale cliffhanger. So viewers had to wait three months to find out who the new sister Mm. was. I could not even imagine. I'm so sorry, Australia. Writer Marty Noxon says about this episode, the vampire who was going to show Buffy a darker side of herself was originally envisioned as just another vampire who rode a horse and was all cool. I kept saying, like Dracula, until Joss Whedon said, why not Dracula? He's public domain. I was a big fan of the mythology. I think I had my first inkling of what a sexual experience might be when I saw Dracula with Frank Langella, the pointy collars, being sexy. <laughs> what is this girl's This girl needs to, needs to go to therapy. I'm being so Pharrell. I'm not trying to self-diagnose anyone or anything, but like, <laughs> why does she need to put such sexual stuff in there all the time? Like, I don't understand. Well, this makes sense. If this was her first sexual experience and it was a guy going around biting people. It doesn't that- need to be sexual for us. Like, just because it was sexual for you doesn't <laughs> don't mean you need to put it to in it. there. Yeah, for real. Dracula <laughs> creeps me out. He always has. Like, and I hate the fact that they made Dracula sexual. Like, Oh, it's weird. It's well, weird. Vamp- vampirism or whatever is inherently sexual. So I, I get yeah. what they're doing with this episode. I, it would be fine if it wasn't Marty who was behind it. Because then now I'm like weird about it. And I'm like, okay. So now I see it through the lens of like her. Um, but I, I get what they're doing in this episode. I really do. Out of a lot of the stuff that she's written, this one makes sense. Do I think we really needed it in this format? 
Probably not. But we could have said the same thing um, without having to do exactly what she did in this episode. Yeah. All right. So the quote continues, and I totally thought of Leo while I was reading this. The pointy collars, being sexy, coming through long windows and bodice busting and all that stuff. When I was very young, Dracula just totally captured my imagination, and I always saw this as a sort of great romance. <laughs> ah, she, she goes on. She scares me. <laughs> I can't believe season six is your favorite, Leah. No, season six is not my favorite. Oh my gosh. Oh, I thought no, it no, was. No, no, okay. no, 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 no. <laughs> Leah's never said that. <laughs> no. What? Season like three is my favorite. I'm just saying I don't hate season six as yeah. much as you guys do. Oh, sure. I, I, I see six. the beauty. I see the beauty in season six and I, I like a lot of storylines. And I'm curious if you'll say that after we have to analyze every episode and Marty Noxon being the showrunner, but we'll we'll get there. I still think that there's a lot of creepy stuff about season six, but okay. I don't hate it as much as you guys do. Sure. Okay. That's fair. All right. She goes on to say the supernatural quality didn't interest me as much as the longing for eternal love. So the whole notion of Dracula being this sort of symbolic figure was a part of it. More so it was about the mythology of what it was to be a slayer and what it was to be the best or the greatest in your field. We tried to pack a lot into that episode and it was actually one of the hardest episodes we ever had to break. I think I wrote an entire draft of that script, which we threw out and then wrote a whole other draft of that script, and usually things go a little smoother. That was a tortured project. We reshot the ending because we were trying to pack a lot of ideas and a lot of sex appeal and a lot of jokes into one episode, which had its good points and its bad points. Um, and a lot of the writers and fans feel like this episode was introducing this massive character that was too big for 45 minutes of television. Yeah. And, and like Leah said, like it pulls you out of the episode. Um a lot of people, if you ask people which season opener they think is the weakest, many people will point to this episode. Um, I mean, compared to all the other open, until the openers, like, I feel like, I mean, the freshman, I love the freshman. And I'm not a season four stan, but I love the freshman. I love and I grew to appreciate Anne when we had to analyze it. And I was like, wait a minute, this mm -hmm. is probably the best they have ever seen. Like, it's so yeah. good. Um, and yeah. even um, when she was bad, that one's good too. I think it, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and we'll go on to talk about the other ones. I think that this episode, I've always been like, oh, this is such a weird episode to start such a heavy season with because it's very light and campy, but it's actually not. There's a lot of deeper themes going on here and mm -hmm. I never really quite caught all of the metaphors and the symbolism that was happening here and how it relates to the rest of the season. Um, and now that I have actually watched it, it, it's better than I remember and it actually ties into the season quite well. But uh, it's funny because David Fury, one of the writers, absolutely abhors this episode. He has this funny quote. He says, Really? So David Fury says this about the episode. He says, I can go with a modern Dracula, but it was just the fact that he was somebody else's creation invading Joss's creation. I thought it sort of diminished our rules, our universe. I was actually very bothered by that episode. I know that it delighted Joss. It delighted Marty too, this idea of Buffy facing Dracula. I thought it flew in the face of the mythology of our vampires. It doesn't play in the Dracula playground. The kind of logic I would apply to it is this thing Joss would say, who cares? Well, I do. I care. <laughs> 
we've created these rules and I don't want to break our rules. And Dracula totally broke the rules. We just said Dracula is some weird anomaly of a vampire and seeing Xander become Reinfeld or Renfeld was all fun, but it was an episode I had difficulty embracing. I thought it sort of commented on how Buffy's universe is kind of fictional. When you start introducing another famous fictional character into our world, to me, it bursts a bubble of this universe that Joss created and we created with him. Some people enjoyed it very much. I'm just not one of them. I have to say, I kind of agree. Huh. I was about to say, I was like, you know what? I get it. Yeah. I can still kind of enjoy the episode on its own. But as right. I was rewatching, I literally thought I was like, this is literally not making any sense in the Buffy universe, but it's mm-hmm. just fun. And so I it think if, pulls if, you're, you out. if you're able to kind of like expend disbelief in the Buffy universe for a second, you can enjoy it. But as I was watching, there were moments where I was like, okay, this they're not even really explaining anything. But like- yeah. I I totally respect that and I totally understand where he's coming from. Marty says, it's hard to bring a character who's that iconic into your universe. It lent itself to camp. At the same time, we were actually trying to do something deeper than that. We were trying to make it emotional and make it have some resonance, but it was a campy situation and tone-wise, we weren't always sure where we were. Also, that character deserves maybe a longer arc. We tried to do a lot with him in one episode and then got rid of him. So we struggled for a tone and we were tired coming out of season four. So it just sounds like the writers weren't 100% happy with where they came at it and where it all ended up uh, landing and stuff, which is totally fair. I think it's as strong as they could have done, but I can't imagine being a first-time watcher and coming off of season four and maybe not liking season four as much and then watching this episode and being like, oh my gosh, this is when Buffy goes downhill. Like the show's just, it's had its peak. We're never going to see great episodes again. Like this is where it's going. Um, But just stick around guys because season five has some of the best, easily some of the best episodes of the series. I feel like it's so weird to me that this is the first episode that introduces Buffy's new sister Mm -hmm. because it's like she almost gets overshadowed. Like, oh, totally. We have no like idea who this chick is. We don't know where she's came from. We are given no context, like nothing. We're just kind of dropped into this situation. And somehow that's not the most memorable part of this episode, which is definitely a flaw. Like, I shouldn't be remembering Dracula over whoever this new girl is. Like, I just think that they struggled to find their footing in this episode. Well, I kind of think that was intentional because the way they casually drop her in, you're supposed to be like, well, this girl was here the entire time. What are you talking about? It's a way of gaslighting the entire Buffy fandom. Um, But yes, it is true. Dracula does take the attention away from her. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of things. A lot of things going on with that. Um, Okay, so the characterization of Buffy and Xander is based off of the Dracula lore from the book with Xander representing Renfield, Dracula's servant, and Buffy representing Van Helsing, Dracula's foe, a vampire slayer. A huge theme of Bram Stoker's Dracula is female sexual purity with the idea that a woman becomes sexually provocative and unclean after she is bitten. Uh, you know, metaphor for sex. Female sexual expression is seen as evil and a threat. Um, There's a ton of other metaphors, but that's the one that I kind of think works the best with Dracula's representation here in this episode. Um, In the book, Dracula pursues this girl, Mina, biting her in her dreams and making her feed off of him in order to seduce and turn her. But it is Van Helsing, the vampire hunter, that saves Mina. The entire episode, we are led to believe that Buffy is Mina with Riley being Van Helsing. Yet in the end, the twist is that Buffy is Van Helsing all along. And by her staking him and breaking the thrall herself, the show subverts the original meaning, which I find really, really cool. And, you know, it's what Buffy does best. 
Um, it's so funny because as I was watching this episode, I realized that this episode is almost a continuation of Restless with all its cryptic phrasing and references to the darkness and Buffy. Um, and then like kind of the characters continuing on a lot of the same themes that they were talking about in their dreams. And then I watched Passion of the Nerds analysis and he said almost the same thing. He says, what if I, instead of reading Buffy versus Dracula so cleanly as an opener, we read it as a continuation from Restless? Quick refresher, Buffy's dream in Restless consisted of her waking up in bed with her friends nowhere to be seen, Tara making cryptic references to her sister, Joyce, Joyce being covered over by her new life, and Buffy leaving her, Riley acting strange, untrustworthy, calling her killer, and then leaving her, and the first Slayer telling Buffy that the Slayer is nothing but death. As much as Buffy spoke confidently to the first Slayer, part of Buffy's inability to sleep in this episode may have been brought on by the fact that the Slayer power inside of her is a thing that she does not yet truly know and understand. This episode is dealing with the revelations from Restless, Giles making a decision to leave, then becoming Buffy's watcher again, Xander getting pushed over the edge with being Dracula's butt monkey and deciding to make a change, Buffy wanting to explore her roots a bit more. The only person we really don't hear from a, a ton is actually Willow, but I guess, you know, time will tell. So all in all, honestly, I think this episode is better than I remembered. I don't know if my caliber on the quality of Buffy episodes is skewed though because of just coming out of season four, but I appreciated how we have the Scoobies back together. We're back in the graveyard. We're back in Buffy's house. The campiness, Joyce is here. It feels like we're going back to what we loved most about Buffy in the first few seasons, more core Scooby stuff, more slaying, more vampires. Sure, it's a bit clunky and out of place, but the characters are themselves and it gets you excited for the next season. And of course, there's so much foreshadowing. So all in all, a much more enjoyable episode to watch and analyze than the last like several episodes with the exception of Restless. I agree. I feel like this episode with all of the kookiness feels so much more like Buffy than mm -hmm. the entirety of season four. All right. Season five, Buffy Harris slang in this episode. <laughs> yes. Season five hair is her best. It's like shampoo con shampoo commercial hair, man. It looks like I don't know how to explain this, but it looks gold to me this season. Like every lighting, I'm like, she has streaks of gold, I swear. Like it just is a specific blonde that is just shimmery. It looks so soft and bouncy. The curls are just mm -hmm. mock. It's so good. Um, so we kind of start off the episode with Buffy tossing and turning in bed next to Riley back at her um, house living with Joyce for the summer. We see her have this restless look in her eyes and Ooh, then they restless. cut. Good yes. word. Nice. <laughs> they cut straight to her. Patrolling isn't the word I'd use here. She uses the word hunting later and I think that's mm -hmm. more accurate. Mm -hmm. She's sprinting like like she's literally going to like starve any second this girl is sprinting <laughs> she's the fight scenes were so good she used her legs a lot in this episode in her fight scenes like she was like twisting grabbing pulling all these people to the floor doing all those like acrobatic moves i was like dang um i always feel like they really up the choreography specifically in the first of every season because it's like oh new season there's going to be so much more. Everything's going to be higher. Like the the stakes are higher. Um, the fight scenes, everything. I just realized, I feel like we just did the freshman. I was just thinking in my head. I was like, oh my word, we're already in like the first episode of a season. I feel like we it's just been a year did, since we did the freshman. It's crazy. Yeah. 
It is crazy. Um, no, I will talk more about the stents later on, um, but – yeah, the reason why it looks different is because we have a new stunt double, two new stunt doubles for Buffy. That and makes a new sense. Coordinator. Yeah. That totally yep. makes sense. It feels different for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. The script says that that this is Buffy who pursues the fleeing vampire at an astounding pace. The intensity of her pursuit is wild, almost animal, like a leopard springing after its prey. And I really like, um, again, that cat reference, referring to the slayer. Yep. So a couple of observations about this opener. Um, So starting in season two, we started the opening of every season in a graveyard. This continues that. This is the first time, though, that Buffy's been alone in a graveyard, and I think that's intentional. Um, Also, having her actively slaying in a graveyard immediately sets the tone for the season and distinguishes it from season four, where she barely patrolled ever, let alone barely patrolled in a graveyard. It takes us right back to the show's roots, almost like a reset. The other things are, in Restless, we got hints about the Slayer's origins through the first Slayer, and it's very animalistic. To your point about slaying and patrolling in this episode, yeah, she's definitely more hunting. This is the first time we've seen Buffy go out with the intention to, like, hunt down someone and kill them. You see her chasing after them like a predator. It's not her just kind of meandering through the graveyard. And bumping into them. Yeah. Right. And they start attacking her and then she goes after them. No, this is someone who's on the prowl for sure. Yep. Um, Yeah. It's almost like she has an itch she needs to scratch. It points to a more primal side that we haven't yet seen from her. Um, And then lastly, (laughs) that satisfied look that she gets when she crawls back into bed next to Riley Mm -hmm. that she didn't have before is intentionally showing us that while they seem to be happy, it's almost like he can't satisfy that side of her. There's a part of her that craves this. um, And that's also a side of her that he's not a part of. She doesn't wake him up to come with her. That's something that she wants to do alone. Um, And we talk, it's been a long time, but we talk a lot about Buffy's human life and slaying life and how she's always wanted a more normal human life. But here that seems to be changing a bit where she seems to be embracing a little bit more of her slaying side for the first time. Her energy just feels different this episode. Mm -hmm. Yep. Kind of almost like faith in a little bit. Not even in like a negative way. She just feels like she's like grown past a lot of things in this one episode. Like she feels a lot more like adults I'm sure of what I'm doing even if I don't agree with what I'm doing I know I need to be doing it that sort of feeling that's that's Mm -hmm. what I'm getting well I also think that the initiative kind of helped her gain a lot of confidence in herself not because they did anything right but more so (laughs) because they did everything wrong to Mm. where it kind of forced Buffy to be like I know what I know what I'm doing like you guys don't you're you're idiots the way you do things is wrong and so I think it gave her a lot of confidence to kind of know that she handles things the way it should be handled and you know it's best to leave Riley at home you know (laughs) I mean she's an adult now she's not the teenager that we saw in you know the very beginning in season one this is this is a slayer who's been doing this for a few years who's seen a couple of uh, apocalypses and is very confident a lot of in a lot of ways season five is Buffy at her peak yep um This next scene after the title sequence is one out of only two scenes in the entirety of the show where we are set on a beach. And I'm just Mm -hmm. like, man, we're in Sunnydale. We're in California. I was like, I love them seeing them on the beach. And just like everyone's like beach fits. I was like, 
this is so cute. We have like Willow in her little red tank top and her sunnies and her little shorts. And then we have like Tara with her little skirt and like little tube top. And then Anya looks so cute in her bathing suit. Buffy has a little like wrap skirt. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is so cute. But I noticed throughout the episode, we're back to some of our old Buffy fits with the leather pants. She wears the leather, the red She wears red and pink. And then Mm -hmm. she also wears... Uh, a lavender top to go to bed which I was like oh I want to see more of that and then she wears this skirt right now that's purple she just wears lots of really bright colors she wears the leather again and like leather is kind of like the number one indicator that they're trying to lean into her slayer side we talked a lot about this season four was very like flirty a lot of sundresses a lot of flip-flops it was southern california girl freshman in college look and vibe now we're kind of back to the the leathers and the high turtlenecks and stuff because she's slaying at night um but i do think it's interesting that her hot pink pants um her little sister is wearing hot pink pink pants in the first scene that we see her in and so she kind of matches buffy a little bit for part of this episode which is kind of cool hmm also, side note, uh, Emma Caulfield has joined the cast. So Anya is now a series yay. regular. Which Ooh, deserved. Um, so the gang's being all cute on the beach. And then Willow starts a fire to help Xander make the the food. And then accidentally starts a storm. At least we think it was her or it could be the fact that Dracula is coming in town. Who knows? Uh, yeah. Did we did we all notice the moment where Riley's all like, you know, you throw like a girl and then Buffy wallops him in the face? It was a sweet, sweet moment. But also, who treats their boyfriend like that? Like, <laughs> like I love Buffy. You know, she can do no Pent wrong. Up tension. <laughs> but it's also like, I feel like, <laughs> I just feel like that means like, you don't have a lot of tenderness towards them. It was unintentional. She was trying to throw it hard and didn't realize how strong she was. She ended up hurting him. But I, why are you blaming Buffy? Blame Riley. He's- I'm no. I'm not blaming her. I'm not blaming her. She can hit he him for Riley all I and I would justify her. <laughs> I'm saying more so of the fact of like, like, you could just tell there's not a lot of tenderness there. Like that is true, but I did not expect you to take Riley's side over I'm not Buffy's. Take, no, no, I'm not taking Riley's <laughs> side. Riley's a scumbag for what he said. But I'm just saying, like, it's just funny to me that, like, sure. <laughs> instead of Buffy being like, "Riley, you're an idiot," she's like, "Let me just chuck this ball right at your face, moron." <laughs> yeah. Again, reconfirming to all of us: Do the writers like Riley? Do they? Do they? Yeah, this episode had a lot of question marks when it came to that. They really didn't have to add that moment, but they really did. And so many other moments. So I was like, do y'all want them to break up this episode? Because that's what it feels like. Yeah. There's there's a whole section that was cut out that kind of the writers were using to catch us up on where the characters are at. So after Riley talks about how he – like the fire pit is not cooperating – Willow says, what's the deal, Xander? I thought you were a cow griller by trade. Xander says, well, they had a newfangled gas stove at the burger place. Anya says, plus they fired him in like a day. Xander says, Anya embarrassed me in public. Who saw that coming? Anya says, he's fine. He's back to working muscly construction. Xander says, not for long. The job is over in a couple weeks. Then all my ends will be loose again. And then Riley says, tell me about it. I'm kind of in drift mode myself these days. Buffy says, you're not drifty. You have school. And Riley says, yeah, but I'm not even sure what I'm doing. He says, I mean, I figure I do want my master's in psychology, but there's different areas. The new advances in psycholinguistics are intriguing, but I've really always thought of myself as a cognitive neurobiology guy. And then Xander just looks at him and then says, 
I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Willow says that she hears them and says she's going to structure her major around computer science, but now she doesn't know. What if drama class is awesome, which is a callback to Restless? Do I cast off the safe and dependable for the exhilarating unknown? And then Xander or Willow and uh, Tara have like a little jokey jokey back and forth. So there's like a lot more dialogue here. Um, I say all this because they actually cut off or cut out another scene with Riley where he gets uh, a letter that he didn't get into the master's degree program and he's really frustrated. And that's what oh, lends itself. Oh, why did they leave that out? Right, yeah. Not me being interested in Riley's storyline. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's like someone not getting into something that they want is kind of a big like yeah. character choice Psyche not moment. to put in yeah. there. Yeah. Well, what was our big complaint about Riley in season four? He has no life apart from Buffy and the initiative. This was adding something of his. And they cut that out, which doesn't give me hope for their relationship in the future because they're not really expanding on Riley other than his relationship with Buffy. Um, Yeah. It also explains a little bit of why he's kind of so insecure about what's happening with Dracula and Buffy because he doesn't really have anything else going on in his life. So they're they're making him seem controlling and possessive where his attitude might be stemming from the fact that his life's not progressing due to getting this this letter. But they they took that out so now it's it, we're forced to only see it as jealousy and yep. like him being like, you know, codependent it has to on do her. With Angel. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, I was I was about to say I was like they they kind of fumbled a bit because they could have taken it in a much more interesting way rather than just like possessiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They literally took out everything interesting and unique about Riley in this episode and made him just the jealous um, – the fish out of water, really. He doesn't seem to quite fit with the Scoobies. Like he's antsy yeah. this episode. He's he's just not he's sure. He's Buffy's boyfriend. That's Which also yeah. isn't true for all the love interests because like Oz and Tara – and Angel all fit in with the Scoobies very well. Even Anya. Anya's like, getting there. She's still not fully there, but she's Yeah, but there. there but there is an essence of like they feel like a part mm-hmm. of the gang, whereas Riley doesn't. Anya also has a really cool backstory. She was a vengeance demon. That's how we were introduced to her. So there's this whole – we whenever we see interactions with her and other people in her environment, there's the context of, oh, you're a new human. You were a vengeance demon behind her. And it makes the interactions interesting versus Riley's just a guy. So we jump into a castle that we apparently have never seen in Sunnydale. And I love how Riley kind of makes a comment about it later. I was like, <laughs> y'all can't keep getting away with this. <laughs> like, you can't like keep adding all these things in a small town Sunnydale. And you're like, there's castles and a zoo. We're just going to put it in the script like a little wink. Like, <laughs> we know what we're doing. We're just going to like, you know, just breeze right past that. No, 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 <laughs> no. Just very confused by how big Sunnydale actually is. It's massive. Um, don't let don't let Cordelia apparently. lie to you. Yeah. Um. So they have this uh quote unquote delivery. Two guys accidentally drop it, which damages the case, and then we come to find out that it is Dracula. He doesn't bite the people. He slashes their throats. I was very shocked by that. I was like, dang, this is like a horror movie. Kind of here for yeah. it. Yeah. And then at Giles' house, we have this very um, interesting moment where you can tell that Giles is feeling very antsy. We find out that he, him and Willow have been um, doing lots of projects over the summer, um, archiving the library onto the computer, which I feel like that's got to take a long time. As soon as Willow says 
like you've been Mr. Project all summer. I mean, labeling the amulets, indexing your diaries. I was like, oh, I know where this is going because I forgot about this part. And then as soon as yeah. she said that, I was like, oh, Giles is gearing up to leave. Yeah. I like this little side like storyline because I feel like it it brought you down a little bit from the campiness for a second throughout the whole episode because you hear this in the beginning before things kind of really set in. So that when like the ridiculousness of Dracula comes in and then Xander being the butt monkey and all that sort of stuff, in the back of your brain, you're you're still remembering this is a Buffy episode and there's still stakes. And Giles might leave. And like Buffy, you could tell, is having a really hard time with her power and like she's feeling a little bit like not quite herself. Like there's moments in this episode that bring me back down, which makes it still really rewatchable for me. Mm-hmm. Um, even though like I don't like necessarily i'm not obsessed with it but i don't dislike per se the whole like dracula and buffy thing i think that there are some really good moments in this episode um it's still good to me but um he's been trying to get a life apparently as he says um he feels like buffy doesn't need him anymore he's going to go back to england and he tells willow to keep the secret for him um honestly i i think this is a completely great move for not only the character of Giles it it makes sense yeah and I think that this is a really cool res not a resolution but this a cool next step after Restless where Giles is realizing like oh man like I have to make a choice Buffy doesn't need me here why stick around so I'm going to leave like he's going to move on with his life and it it's completely reasonable completely rational Buffy's in a really good place in her life and she you know she's doing well she doesn't she doesn't really need him as far as we all can see yeah well but it's also just like it's a a credit to how he views Buffy that he yes believes that she can handle this on her own now yeah um okay so this next this next scene there was a scene that was written in before this is the one between Buffy and Riley um, Buffy's actually helping Riley clean out his room. Currently, she's examining a plate she's just pulled from under his bed. Something black and moldy grows there. Ew. Buff- Buffy says, take this away, whatever it is. <laughs> Riley says, it's tuna or a Pop-Tart. And then uh, <laughs> uh, Buffy says, that's it. I'll face monsters, but I'm done helping you clean. Riley says, you're not seeing the whole sexy bohemian thing because I had it on good authority that chicks dig slack. Buffy says, actually, I'm starting to miss the whole military folds your clothes with a ruler experience. And <laughs> says, a shadow crosses his face at the mention of his past life, but he recovers instantly with, you should talk, your drawer is a mess. And then he lifts a sexy, frilly under thing out from Buffy's drawer. And then he says, oh, no, that's my drawer. Sorry. And then Buffy moves to him flirtatiously. She says, you sure that's yours? Looks kind of snug. Maybe you should try it on from Riley, you know, just so we can see who belongs. Buffy says, oh, I'd love to. Then they kiss. And then she says, I promised my mom I'd head home, all that stuff. So she leaves. And then he goes through the mail. It says, see something that makes him stop. His face clouds a little, but Buffy doesn't pick up on it. And then we see that he opens the mail and it's not a bill, it's a letter. And he grows really angry and throws Man, it out. And so we're, they really like, for real, that would have been this, interesting. Not just in this episode. I feel like this has been a common problem with Riley's mm-hmm. character where they have written dialogue that would genuinely help his character and yeah. they've chosen not to put it in. And I don't understand why it's a continual problem with him. And then they wonder why everyone doesn't like Riley. Yep. And I actually wrote in my notes with the other scene between them later on. Um, 
it it felt like Buffy was all like, hey, let's have sex. And Riley's like, no, I don't want to have sex. And I was like, are they okay? Like what? I think they're, I know they're trying to lean into like Buffy's like more primal side. So she probably wants sex more than he does, whatever. But this moment here where he's like into her and is talking about, hey, let's have sex. It makes it seem better than what it was. Like it just doesn't make him look good. And it's like, again, I, I think that the reason why people don't like Riley is because they didn't write write him well, not because the character himself is just not a good guy. You know what I mean? Um, so we see Buffy um, that's supposed to come after that deleted scene, which would have smoothly landed us here. Buffy and Joyce are eating dinner. And then you see Joyce like being like, oh, like we should go get some ice cream, kind of like trying to have some more quality time with Buffy because Buffy seems like she's very emotionally absent this episode or at least just elsewhere. Um, she declines because she has a quote unquote very busy schedule with patrolling um, late nights. It's quote unquote a drag. And then we jump over to her uh, what she likes to call patrolling. If we would call well, it that. There's that really significant moment where Joyce says, I'm going to have to get used to this place without you again. It gets so quiet. And then, I mean, this is significant because of the little surprise at the end. Um, and then Buffy's, there was a, a part that was cut out. Buffy says, you should get a pet, a loud one. And Joyce says, not a cat. Too pathetic. Buffy says, understood. How about a rat? Amy makes a lot of noise on that little wheelie thing. She talks about a, a puppy and then yada, yada. But the fact that she brings up a cat, again, that's supposed to be a big clue because in all of the dreams that foreshadow things, there's a cat on a bed and then we meet Buffy's sister in her room. So kind of cool. Okay, this scene with Buffy fighting the vampire. So Tabs, you mentioned before, the fight scenes are more acrobatic. Um, they're more wrestle-like and they're not martial arts. That's because Sophia Crawford and the stunt coordinator are no longer with the show, um, Jeff Pruitt. And it's a shame because there's a brutality to the way that Crawford and her husband both choreograph and execute the scenes that I kind of miss in the later seasons. But it is really fun to watch some of the showy stunts. And I think that the I think that the stunt women they got to represent Buffy match her body-wise a little bit more. And so it's a little I bit agree. harder to distinguish the stunt doubles. Yeah. Um, so along with the changes of the stunt doubles, we actually sadly have lost Christoph Beck. He's not the composer anymore. Um, it's now Thomas Winker. He does a good job, but it's not quite the same. Tom Winker. <laughs> <laughs> yep, his last name is Winker. That's so unfortunate, especially considering this is like – like a lot of British people. British people. Oh, that's so embarrassing. <laughs> Poor guy. Can't he can't help his name? Um, I want to talk about Sophia Crawford being replaced by Michelle Waitman and Melissa Barker, the new stunt women for Sarah Michelle Geller. Um, I want to talk about their exit. So on the heels of Ray Fisher's allegations of unprofessional behavior by Joss mm. Whedon. Um, stunt coordinator Jeff Pruitt spoke out about Whedon's behavior on set, calling him an egomaniac. Pruitt's claims were backed by his wife, former Buffy stuntwoman Sophia Crawford, who claims Whedon told her to end her relationship with Pruitt if she wanted to remain on the show. Oh, my gosh. CBR.com's Eve Cassidy writes, Pruitt told Metro UK, we had a great relationship, Joss and I, but he changed as the show took off. According to Pruitt, over the course of Buffy's first four seasons, tensions began to brew between him and other members of the crew, including showrunner Joss Whedon. 
Pruitt left the show before its fifth season. He said, by season four, I'd become fed up and told them I was going to leave to direct second unit on another series. The producers told me that Joss reacted as if I was having an affair or something behind his back. Although ties were cut between Pruitt and Whedon, Whedon had allegedly asked Crawford to stay under one condition. She break up with Jeff Pruitt. Crawford said, I was called into the office, which sounds very familiar to what happened with Chris Carpenter. She says, I was called into the office and I was given an ultimatum. And they said to me, come back to the show, but you need to leave Jeff or don't come back. And so I basically started crying and I said, F you, that's horrible. Bye. Good. Yeah. This isn't the first time Pruitt claimed bad blood on the Buffy set with Whedon. When he left the show before season five, he famously penned a poem called The Parable of the Night, in which he likens himself to a knight, Crawford as the handmaiden, Whedon as the tyrannical king, and Sarah Michelle Geller as a spoiled princess. In his poem, he casts Geller and Whedon as two figures who caused great difficulty to him, Crawford, and their relationship. And here's the thing. This originally didn't get a lot of traction when he first penned it because this was like years before everything came out about Joss. Um, But given what we know of Joss pitting people against one another and the fact that literally no one else has ever said anything bad about Sarah Michelle Keller and also knowing that she herself had a problem with Joss as well, I think it's easy to see who's to blame. And it's easy to see Mm -hmm. why Jeff Pruitt might have blamed SMG and lumped her with Joss simply because Joss was probably pitting people and separating people and stuff. But it's just, it's really sad. It's really unfortunate. That's so, it's insane to me that like things like that actually happened. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of hard because now we're kind of in the season when things start like affecting on screen, how, how everything is, is happening behind the scenes. Like stuff started really ramping up in season four, but now here in season five, we've now lost the stunt coordinator and the main stunt double for Buffy. Like Joss is his his behavior is starting to affect the show and we're going to see it affect it even more moving on which is that's the that's the bummer about talking about this show unfortunately that's the dark cloud that hangs over buffy is joss's behavior on set well speaking of the fighting scenes though the fighting scenes again are just they're always going to be top tier because the way that it's handled on set regardless of joss and all that sort of stuff like they always go above and beyond in trying to make sure that they tell a story with their choreography. And you could definitely tell Buffy's being aggressive. She's being, uh, she's brutalizing uh, another vampire went out and patrolling. And we see Dracula kind of um, not missed, or yeah, I guess like missed into his form and just observes her. She's wearing her red leather pants. Um, she stakes the vamp and kind of like saunters off into the woods still very energetic and then he pops up in front of her and says i am dracula and then we get the iconic get out i think about that that all the time yeah get out it's such Mm -hmm. a funny subversion of like the reaction that you're expecting um so i'm just full of fun facts this episode so there is a rumor that freddie prince jr was actually supposed to play dracula who freddie prince is um, Sarah Michelle Gellar's husband was her boyfriend at the time. Uh, obviously, that didn't pan out. But how fun would that have been? That would have just been so great. It might have it might have actually pulled me out of the episode even more. So it's probably good that it didn't happen. But that would have been fun. Um, 
Rudolph Martin, the guy who plays Dracula, later played Vlad the Impaler, the supposed inspiration for Dracula, in a TV miniseries, Dark Prince, The True Story of Dracula, which released in the same year that this episode aired. (laughs) Near the end of the film, the story strays into fiction by having Vlad excommunicated by the Orthodox Church that didn't happen in real life, before getting assassinated by his brother, Radu. How Vlad actually died is unknown. Due to Vlad's violent life as shown in the film and the excommunication, he is denied entry to both heaven and hell and rises from the grave as a vampire and is implied to be one and the same as Count Dracula. The movie therefore has an unintended sense of continuity with the episode as both cast the same actor to play the same character. So it's almost like the movie happened and then he just goes and stalks Buffy for a while. I'm dead. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, and then Rudolph Martin and Sarah Michelle Gellar previously starred together on All My Children, a soap opera. As partners, they were husband and wife, um, Anton Lang and Kendall Hart. Isn't that crazy? Well, that's fun. They got to have like a little cameo back together again. That's cute. Yeah, that's why they have good chemistry. Yeah. Um, so Xander and Willow are walking together in the same graveyard, and poor Willow is – just full of anxiety because she's wanted to talk to people about it. So she's heavily hinting at Giles leaving without seeing anything. <laughs> she can probe Xander to kind of tell her, oh, I know that too. Um, to which he tries obviously to make it sexual again about her and Tara. I'm like, oh my gosh, Xander, shut up. Um, then they bump into Buffy and Buffy's like, hey guys, you need to leave here. And then <laughs> I love how they're just like non-intimidated by somebody who's like wearing like a full-on cape and he is looks like super ridiculous. pale. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he says that he's heard of Buffy. She's known throughout the whole world. Very interesting. He says her power is rooted in darkness. Um, she tries sticking him, but he disappears. Xander and Willow... Oh yeah, sorry. This is when this is when they show up um, after all that conversation. There's a line that's cut out from the script. So Dracula is trying to convince Buffy. Um, you know, I know intimately what it is to be different, human, but not quite of the world, but still an outsider. You see, and then he says, "We understand each other. Both of us are born of darkness, masters in the art of death." And then Buffy says, "No, hold it. Enough with the darkness. I'm born of Joyce, pal." <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> it just cracks me up. I wish they'd left that in. That was funny. Anyway. I love his like subtle sassiness. He's like, go away, peasants. I have no interest in you. <laughs> like Xander and Willow. <laughs> They're just like, okay. <laughs> like Xander's all like nervous around him. And then like I love how Willow's just like silently observing. She's like trying to process and analyze everything. I feel like it was very on brand for both of them. Well, I think they're trying to show that that Willow's like a little attracted to him because like her comments later on. But then also Xander, not Xander immediately recognizing Dracula when Buffy did it. (laughs) He's like, who's got a bad case of dark prince envy? And then he, I love that they had him change into a bat though. I would have been pissed if we had this whole episode and they didn't actually like lean into like, if you're going to have him like completely. Yeah, if you're going to do there, might as well go there. Exactly. If you're going to have him like disappear and then come back in clouds, like- have them change to a bat. And I like that they did that. I was like, thank you. Um, it was kind of cool, though, because it was like the angle of his like cape. And then it changed into his wings. And we got the perspective from the bat yeah. flying around. And I was like, that's sick. I like that. My my favorite part about this next scene in Jaws's living room is it's got to be like 10 p.m. since Buffy left her mom's house at 8.30 or after 8.30. So they're all hanging out at Jaws's house like way after bedtime. And he's just like chilling there. It's supposed to be summertime and he has no job. So I can believe it. 
<laughs> he is older though. He's like, um, guys, this is like past my bedtime. And they're like, no, we just met Dracula. I feel like Giles doesn't have a bedtime. That's true. Yeah, he's probably used to having late hours. There's so much tension in this scene. We have like <sighs> Anya talking about her times with Dracula. Then we have Tara asking if Willow finds him sexy, which she clearly uh-huh. does. Then we have like Buffy trying to hide the fact that she's like enamored and allured by him. And then Riley being anxious and, and jealous about Dracula. I'm like, oh my God. Well, and then, and then Willow's like making all these jokes to make everyone be like, guys, like we still appreciate Giles here. And Giles is like subtly being like, Willow, we got it. Like simmer down a little bit. <laughs> I, I also will say, I like to point out the fact that this is another time that it shows that Willow is bi. She's yeah, into men real. and women. Like, the, I do not erase Oz, okay? I refuse to really <laughs> erase Oz. Yeah. This, again, not a good look for Riley because we obviously, obviously, Dracula's here for Buffy. So I understand why Riley would be a little bit more nervous as opposed to Tara or Anya. But Tara only makes one comment about Willow's comments about Dracula and that's it. Xander obviously starts acting funky. Anya's Anya's more into Dracula and then Xander's like, "Wait a minute." And then he just kind of moves over cuz he's like, "I get it." But Riley Riley assumes that Buffy is enamored with Dracula before she even lets off that she is. She's just talking about how she got to meet him and he's already irritated and he's that already the, irritating that me. was the only part to me that didn't really make sense in this episode i was like wow there was really no build-up for him to like really kind of be jealous either they're really trying to show us that there's so much off screen that's happened between them which i still don't really believe because they were in a seemingly really good place the, like at the end of season four like she chose him over angel so i'm supposed to believe he's the love of her life right because he, he chose him <laughs> over angel and then it's like this unspoken just like consolation prize tabby consolation prize is what he is um i, I don't know it just it didn't really work for me i was like she wasn't even talking about him in in a weird way she mentioned him once and he was like immediately jealous and i was like Dang, my goodness. Also, if my like girlfriend was talking about how she met Dracula, my mind wouldn't be, oh my god, she's attracted to him. Like I'd be like, what? That's crazy. Like I wouldn't like I like it's just so weird to immediately jump to that. Or I'd be kind of scared and like Dracula is a big, like huge, big bad. I'd be like little scared. But here's the thing. That scene that they cut out. Riley's supposed to be irritated because Buffy's moving on. It's giving Buffy saying, "Oh my gosh, I was recognized. I'm I'm being renowned now for being a slayer. P- other famous people." And it doesn't work in my side of that deleted scene. So it was more about the recognition yeah. rather than yes. about See, why don't they leave that scene in? Yep. Yeah, we don't see it that way. We just see it as Riley jealous and possessive because of his girlfriend. And it doesn't work that way because we haven't seen that other than Angel. And therefore, and this is not Mm -hmm. even about Angel. So it's like, you know, it doesn't work in that sense. Yeah. So this is very much giving girlfriends progressing in her job, doing really great. Boyfriends meandering doesn't have anywhere that he's moving forward. So he's jealous and he's going to tear her down. It's giving Ross season three of Friends towards Rachel. It's a yeah, niche thing, it but it is spot on. If you the girls that get it, get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah a lot, and uh, unfortunately, a lot of girls get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is. It mm-hmm. is a universal thing. Unfortunately, at the time. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so 
Anya and Xander are walking the streets, and then Anya goes on and on about Dracula and their days together, yada, yada, yada. Can we have some more death for Anya, please? Um, and then apparently <laughs> Dracula is a wolf now on the roof listening, apparently. And then That's part of Anya- his powers. Yeah, whatever. Anya and Xander decide not to spend the night together, and then they go their separate ways. Xander's talking by himself, and then Dracula shows up. Heavily allures him, starts controlling him. Xander calls him master. Well, and there's like a couple. I know, I know why you skipped it, but there's that scene there with Buffy and Riley, where Buffy tries to initiate what Riley initiated earlier in that deleted scene, and then Riley is like frustrated about the initiative. So we're we're now feeling that Riley is the one feeling displaced, not sure where he's going. He's where Xander and Giles were the previous season. Um, and it's affecting his and Buffy's relationship because she wants to have sex with him. He's like, I'll see you tomorrow morning. So it's it's very interesting. And then we also have like Xander over here her Anya doesn't want to spend the night because she doesn't like the bleach smell because Xander's still living in the basement, which is important because this episode is the catalyst for Xander wanting to actually do something and change that. Uh, I just think it's funny. This scene gives me the vibes of Meet the Robinsons where you have the little hat go on the frog and he's like, yes, master. (laughs) (laughs) That is so niche. (laughs) That is so true. Oh my gosh. That's hilarious, Leah. (laughs) I haven't seen the movie in forever. Oh, that's funny. He's like, yes, master. <laughs> yes, master. And then he goes, and then he's like, I don't think this plan was thought through. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how well this plan was thought through, master. Um, master. I do think it's odd that Buffy would let the Scoobies go home without her after an encounter with Dracula. They're all treating this very cavalierly. Like, this is Dracula. It's just because he's so charming that, like, as soon as they leave, they're like, maybe it wasn't that bad. <laughs> That's part of his powers. He gaslights them afterwards. <laughs> dead. I was dying, though, when um, Dracula was like, you are strange and off-putting to Sander. That was, like, was I would not far- survive. I would not survive after Dracula said that about me. I'd be like, I'm totally going to go <laughs> Dude, and die. The writers are feeding us this episode with that line about Xander and then Riley getting hit in the face of the football. I was like, <laughs> Yes. Keep giving us oh this. My gosh. <laughs> I will say Xander was probably my favorite part of this episode. Can't believe I'm going to say that, but he was funny in this episode. Um, it was very funny. The whole master Bader. <laughs> master Bader. Um, and then he gives him, he's like, hey, you're going to like follow all of my commands. I need you to be in my eyes and ears during the daytime. Cool. And then he leaves. Um, and then we see a crypt that Riley's walking into we see from a different angle so at first we don't know that it's Spike's crypt and I don't know why it was weird for me to all of a sudden see Spike in this episode he seemed like he was kind of random to me this episode I don't know what it was I like we walked in I was like oh we're getting Spike this episode like it it, I don't know his vibe also just feels season five Spike like all of a sudden, he just felt season five spike to me. He was in season four spike. And I know that's like we're not in season four anymore. But it's like there was no – like there was a huge distinction in his – I keep saying vibe. But like his presence right away. Yeah. It's because he's not like meandering anymore. Because in season four, he was just kind yeah. of like not sure. But they I came and I found honestly... him. He's not wandering around. He's not the comedy relief this episode. Like they, he came to him for questions, for answers. And like it, it was very new and interesting with Spike's character. 
Well, and I honestly think that Riley and Spike have a very interesting dynamic. I've been talking about this since, you know, the beginning of season four, but they are intentionally making comparisons and contrasts with those two characters. In season four, it was because they both are chipped. And I'm there. It seems like they're continuing that into this season. So I'm really curious to see where they're going to go with that. There's also some major tension between the two of them that is new. Uh, yeah. But also, I kind of forgot about Spike until the scene. I was like, oh, yeah, you're still here. Well, because season four, he was just I wouldn't wandering say that, that the tension between them is new. I think it's just that we haven't really seen Spike and Riley interact much at all. So. It's more of just them interacting one on one is just new in general. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I think, I think you're right. Yeah, it's just it, it, it was some tension there, and I'm kind of like, I think Riley's just looking for a well, fight right now. You too. know what it was though? It was everything that that Riley was saying, everything that he was saying had seven underlined questions he wasn't actually saying out loud. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, which like is again interesting in theory if we could kind of delve a little bit more into exactly what Riley is afraid of. But again, all those scenes are cut out. So like this scene was interesting because there was so much that I was like, huh, I wonder what he's wanting to ask. But yet they don't give any of that to us this episode, which is a little bit frustrating. Yeah. The best part though, hands down, was Spike being all judgy about the Count having to have his luxury estate while he's sitting in his crypt with his comfy chair and his television surrounded by candles. And I was like, Spike, you're one to talk. I love how he was like, yeah, we used to be rivals. Um, he owes me 11 pounds. Um, and then Spike thinks that, like, <laughs> Dracula is here for him. And, like, he's like, oh, he's <laughs> back to level the, the playing field. And he's like, um, not here for not you, Not like, Spike. maybe Dracula's here for the literal slayer. Come on, Spike. <laughs> it, it's giving, like, oh, reliving my glory days. Like, oh, it's it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like when um a high school jock or a high school or whatever, um, in like their heyday and then a few years later when they're out of their prime like thinks everyone's still like in love with them from high school when they see them out in public they're like oh they're still so in love with me and you're like yeah they've gone on to do absolutely (laughs) nothing else with their life and they're married with three children maybe it's not like that yeah yeah um yeah there's a lot of tension like they kind of like are challenging each other to which spike backs down because what's he gonna do get a massive headache if he tries to like do anything to hurt riley or any human um, then Riley leaves and says that he, they need to worry about Dracula getting to Buffy, which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, to which we go straight into the bedroom scene where he kind of comes straight in through the window while Buffy's sleeping. Um, calls her magnificent, calls her kindred, which is an interesting word. Um, she feels she's definitely under his thrall but i feel like it's interesting that we see the first time that she's under his thrall in an intimate place so i feel like her guard is down because she's feeling very like relaxed in her own room i feel like it's a little bit different where she's feeling powerful feeling her slayer like self that she's able to kind of reject a lot of him when she's out like in the graveyard but he comes to her and she's kind of like taken aback so I think that she's in a vulnerable spot with him right now in this moment, which is, makes it a lot easier for her to, her to accept him biting her. Yeah. But I think also, too, just they're trying to show that she's completely under his thrall and that's only broken when she drinks his blood. And like we'll talk about that when we get there. But, but I think it's also mental, too. Totally. I kind and of view I, it as like the master, you know? 
And it's like, okay, is it a dream? Is it not? Because he can appear to people in their dreams. There's a, a funny line that was cut out. Buffy says, ha, you really think you can just waft in here with your hypno eyes and your music video wind? <laughs> it's really interesting because in the script, it says, Dracula says, I've searched the world over for you, yearned for you, for a creature whose darkness rivals my own. And then he feels her scar. And then Buffy says, unworthy. He, he was unworthy. He let you go. And the episode never specifies whether this is Angel or the master scar, but I always took it to mean Angel. As the, and the script yeah. actually verifies that. Um, I didn't even yeah. think of a master, bro. Yeah, same. And he tells her to not fight and then fights her. And it's kind of odd that they kind of go into black and you hear her like moan a little bit. I was like, okay, Marty. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, what happened after that? (laughs) Buffy wakes up in the morning thinking it was a dream, um, but then checks her neck in the mirror and the mark is there and puts a scarf over it. Then we have this just all over the place emotionally. <laughs> I mean, Joss's house is just full of emotions. This episode <laughs> apparently <laughs> just tensionville is Giles's house. This episode, the script notes say Xander licks the jelly off the side, starts enthusiastically sucking the rest out. Note: throughout the following, Xander's Renfielded manner should be just slightly off, like a maniacal hyper guy who's not Xander but looks like Xander, pretending to act like Xander. Got it? The others should notice he's acting a little odd, but not enough to comment on it yeah i think it works because he's supposed to be weird and off-putting so (laughs) it works that he's like odd i think people just don't really question when xander does stuff they're just kind of like oh (laughs) whatever it's just xander boys will be boys uh will says in her research that she was finding out about him that um he's a lot more um I guess you could say like sexual with his victims. He likes to have a connection with them. And sometimes when he bites them, it could take days. Mm-hmm. That is weird. Uh, yeah, which again, if we're going with the, the sexual undercurrents, which, you know, this episode definitely is, Willis seems a little turned on by the fact of, you know, long, slow bites that last for days. Uh, yeah, so Willis says Dracula would rather have a connection with his victims before killing them. That's how he kind of gets off. And then Xander calls him on the unruly prince, sees a spider, and then eats it in the background. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> and they made a I did not need to see that. <laughs> Joss has a lot of weird things around his house, man. The most interesting factoid that Willow says, though, is that or I think it's Giles. He says that the vis- victim has to be taken to a place emotionally where they want to be taken. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to burn for him, and that's when he concedes. So it's not that he just dominates; it's the fact that he has to kind of like feel like he's won them. And then he takes over, which is just even worse. So I mean, gross. it's like a mind game. It's kind of like a yeah. cat with a mouse. Like they want to play with them until it's kind of yeah. not fun to play with them anymore. Yeah. But it's also important that Buffy – there's a part of Buffy that wants to be taken. Yeah. So it, this goes with Buffy's fear along with the fact that she's starting to sense changes in herself when it comes to slaying. Yeah. She's going, oh, man, there's a side of myself that I don't understand and it's scaring me a little bit. Yep. Um, Buffy looks clearly kind of flustered a little bit, walks out, and then Riley immediately follows. Um, he stops her and tells her to take off the scarf immediately. I was like, why? How would you just think of that? Like, randomly? Like, he just goes straight there. I don't know. Seems odd to Riley, me. Riley doesn't trust Buffy. He's been shown to not trust her repeatedly. 
Um, and then she's like, no, I'm not taking it off. And then he's like, well, if you're not under the thrall, then it'd be easy for you to take off the, the scarf. And then he yanks it off. We see the mark. And he looks really hurt. He mentions Angel and her having a type with broody immortals, which is kind of out of pocket. <laughs> like, she's clearly kind of confused. It's hard because, not that I'm one to defend Riley, because <gasps> I don't think this he's- is the second, second time! time. Yeah. I'm, I didn't defend him the first time. Um, I think it's just- it's hard because I do understand to a certain extent Riley feeling uncomfortable with Buffy being so enthralled by someone. However, that's the extent I will take it because then it's also like it's a it's a danger and it's also magic. Like it's not like she's like romantically in love with him. It's it's like he literally yeah. uses things to enthrall people. So it's like I understand at first Riley being like kind of like like annoying about it but then it's like take a step back and realize oh my gosh she's in danger like why is my first emotion like jealousy he we also just learned a, a second ago that he uses all this to confuse their brain and their emotions so it's not even like they have free will in this moment like it's not like Buffy's choosing to be you know enthralled and confused and allowing this man to kind of violate her like maybe ask her if she's okay maybe like trying to figure out how you can help her like it's just I don't know it just bugs me there's the line that Buffy says, it does seem like he's got some kind of control over me, even though a big part of me is resisting. Riley says, what do you mean a part? Only part of you is resisting, which part's not? And then Buffy goes to comfort him, which I think is very interesting. So Buffy's saying there's a big part of me that's resisting. There's the slayer side of her, and then there's the human side of her. We're assuming at this point that it's the slayer side of her that is is enamored with him since that's the part that he keeps referencing. Dracula keeps referencing. Um, and the part that's resisting her is the human part by Riley sitting there worried about that part of her and saying, which parts not we're already starting to kind of see this divide here. Like we are seeing it in the episode, but this, this part that they cut out, it's really not hard to see where the writers are going with this. Is Riley going to start struggling with this side of Buffy that's coming out? Is he not going to like the killer side of her that he called her in Restless? Like the writers are being super obvious with where they're going with the characters. Um, I don't, I don't know that Riley is all that comfortable with Buffy's Slayer side. And on top of that, with the background context that we know that they didn't put into the episode, that Riley's struggling with not being a part of the initiative and kind of floundering and all that other stuff. He's just incredibly, he's in an insecure place right now where he feels threatened. And so he's pointing back to Angel and Buffy's relationship when that's not really the reason why this is all happening. Yep. Um, they end the conversation when everyone finds out about what's happening with her and Dracula. And then Willow says that she will give her a protection spell because he got into her room. And then we jump back over to the house. <laughs> we find out it's Joyce who let Dracula in. Uh, Joyce was attracted to him. Yeah. There was a, um, a, a line that was cut out. She says, I didn't. He was in a suit, a lovely suit. He came by the gallery and he was amazingly well informed about art history. And Tara said probably because he was around for most of it. <laughs> True. <laughs> but I love how Joyce just seems so innocent. Like it's not oh, like yeah. do doesn't seem sexual. It just seems like he just was a lovely man. <laughs> he just gave me attention and just enjoyed the things that I enjoyed. And nobody's really doing that right now. She's like. 
Man, you guys will understand when you get older. Sometimes you feel like giving up on men altogether and the looks. <laughs> um, and then, oh my gosh, down, down in the basement, <laughs> Xander locks Anya in the closet and he's like, I'm supposed to deliver you to the master now. And he's like, this whole thing where he makes me an immortal. You cool with that? And she's like, take me to him. <laughs> yeah, what? what? <laughs> And the fact that they made them both match too, Buffy with her pink pants I and he's got his pink shirt. Say, they're the yep. same shade. I just maybe it's the fact that like because his color is always red. It's like red and black. So maybe it's like pink is kind of like I don't know an offshoot of that. I guess I'm really trying to rationalize it. Maybe it's just they're like let's have a match. But <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the you know the costume designer Cynthia Bergstrom was just feeling really pink or something. I don't know. Maybe yeah, to match know. the campy mood of it all. Could be. Um, I will say, if we're talking about dress, Giles's outfits this episode have been so dapper and so nice. He's dressing True. so sharp. It's so much better than the like really sloppy way that they dressed him in season four. I have missed him dressing nicely. He had like the nice like like button downs. Like a lot of them look like they're nice like material. Like he looks mm-hmm. age appropriate, but also like really fashionable at the same time. He looks good. He's got his life together. Him choosing to leave seems like it's a good decision. Yep. Riley and Giles, the odd pairing, um, make it to the outside of the castle. And then Riley makes his comment like, you know, all the years I've been in Sunnydale, never notice a castle. And they go inside and split up. Dun dun. Uh, fun fact: This castle was is actually in Lancaster. Isn't that funny? What? <laughs> really? Yeah. So they filmed this in Lancaster. <laughs> I feel like the randomest stuff are shot. I, I feel like that's prob like just part of living in California, but it's yeah. like a lot of stuff is shot in Mojave, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of stuff is shot at Edwards. Yep. So in like the dining area, I'm guessing in the castle, mm-hmm. um, they have this like show off. Dracula is like, hey, I still have my thrall over you. And she's like, no, you don't. And he's like, put the steak down. She's like, okay. The real fear <laughs> in her eyes, she's like, the little sound she makes, she's like, Ugh. I know. I love that. I very know. buffy. She's so endearing. 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 Um, he says that she came to be fed on again. She's like, that's not the case. It won't happen again. Um, he says it won't stop because she doesn't want it to stop. She doesn't want him to stop. Um, he says that he has so much to teach her about her body. I was like, why do we have to add that in? This is like getting a weird Martin sexual Oxen, tone man. for real. Okay, and I know it's like grosses us all out and stuff, but there are some like really interesting themes and conversations here. So in Prophecy Girl, we talked about how the master is named as such because he is the literal embodiment of Buffy's fears. And her being enthralled by him is shown as her freezing and being mastered by her fear. When she kills him, she is taking charge of her destiny and her life and showing that she will no longer be mastered by the thing that she fears most with Dracula on a meta level. She's once again, taking charge of her destiny and not letting anyone else tell her who she is while, you know, also being a feminist empowering moment of rejecting the creepy, you know, you want it message, but literally and personally, I think that Dracula's thrall over Buffy is different than the masters. And I think the show portrays it as such. Um, Cause a lot of people are like, okay, how, why is he have a thrall over her? Like, what is this? And is it similar to the masters? 
Passion the Nerd theorizes that Buffy can't resist Dracula because she wants to know what he knows about the Slayer's power. That once she saw the knowledge and saw that it was what she already knew, the thrall was broken. He talks about with the master, it wasn't that she wanted the thrall to work, but she wanted to be the Slayer that was prophesied. Once the prophecy was fulfilled, there was nothing more to want. All Things Philosophical says Vlad lures Buffy to his castle and convinces her to put down her stake, but she did bring a stake. Part of her can resist him. Indications are it is her predatory slayer nature that is doing the resisting. Interesting. So it's opposite of what Riley thinks it is. Ironically, this was the part of her the Dark Prince wanted to bring out. He kept alluding to her primal power, hoping that it would attract her to him, a fellow predator. But it is also the part of her that will not be his victim. Unlike the dutiful Kendra who died in the grip of Drusilla's hypnotic powers, Buffy finds the strength of resistance in accepting the killer within herself. Dracula thus defeats his own purpose in the very act of seduction. He should have vamped her in her bedroom when he had the chance. And I I think this is so interesting because if it is actually, and I do believe it is her um, predatory slayer nature that is the part that's resisting because I think it's her human side that is actually drawn to him just as we see all the other humans being drawn to him. Um, her drinking his blood wakes up her predatory nature, which kind of breaks the thrall and breaks the connection, which I think is really, really interesting. Um, I also want to point out that blood also seems to be synonymous with power, perhaps even knowledge, as knowledge is a type of power. It can be used to control, and Buffy's blood is strong enough that she was able to release the master with her blood, and her blood is strong enough that uh, she's able to break the thrall over her and Dracula just by tasting his blood. Um, it, it feels like there is a a reaction in her blood and his blood. Um, and there's another deeper and more meta reason, but you guys will have to come back for the spoilers for that one. So, Oh, nice plug. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Spoilers are going to be juicy yeah, this episode. I also want to talk about real, real fast, like the similarities to the first Slayer and to Dracula, just with them both coming to her in a dream, them both telling her, we are alone, always alone, like trying to make similarities and pull her away from her friends. Um, And then the, you've only just begun the line that they both say at the same time. Like we're seeing a lot Mm -hmm. of similarities and parallels here. So the other part of the castle, we have um, Riley and Giles kind of separated. Riley's kind of wandering on his own, comes across Xander. Xander tries to have his whole <laughs> monologue and then just gets punched out immediately by Riley. Oh my you gosh. Wanted, you come through me. Okie dokie, says Riley. <laughs> okay. As humorous and appropriate as it is that Xander is under Dracula's thrall, we have to remember that he represents Buffy's heart. Her heart is under a thrall, which could mean that she is torn between her two worlds. But her spirit, Willow, also seems a bit enchanted. And as we will see, Giles, her mind is also enchanted by the three sisters. Meaning a- there's no actual pull to Riley. It's <laughs> all, it's all, like there's no fight at this point. And that's what I was going to say on a more literal note. It's hilarious and possibly telling that Xander Buffy's heart gets knocked out by Riley. Just going to say. Yep. Oh, gosh. Giles goes wandering, falls down. <laughs> it's just like a door and then just like 20 feet of a drop. Um, and then, yeah, the three sisters. He's like, oh, you must be three sisters, apparently. <laughs> you know what? Giles has not had action for so long. Good for him. <laughs> he had Olivia. Fun fact, the first of the three sisters, the one that we see that comes around the wall, 
is portrayed by Jennifer Slimko, who also portrays the unidentified Romanian woman in Angel 555. I think she's the one that plays the Romanian girl that Darla brings to Angel and sets off the whole curse. So it's played by the same girl. Oh, that's cool. Nice to see you again, girly. Slay as usual. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) She got to be bit by uh, David Boreanaz and then got to go bite Anthony Stewart head. I'm saying this girl won in life. (laughs) Causing trauma and being traumatized both on both shows. So good for her. Uh, back in the dining area, we see that um, he cuts himself, offers his, her his blood, tells her she won't be a vampire because he didn't drink enough off of her, that she's not near death. Um, I like how they kind of explain that in a very like smooth way because I was thinking in that moment, I was like, oh, because I, I remembered that she like stops herself, but I, I couldn't remember if it, they were trying to play it off as if he was offering her immortality. Um, so I'm glad that they kind of had that moment for somebody who has not seen this episode that many times. Um, well, and event the idea is that eventually he's going to offer her immortality. Giles talks about how he likes to toy with his victims and it takes days. Yeah. I just didn't know if that was like right now or whatever, because we've never gotcha. seen somebody like suck off of someone else's blood unless they're becoming a vampire in that moment. Yeah. Um, so, um, he... He speaks kind of like what you're saying, sir. He kind of says what Tara said in Restless. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a theme that they're going to tie into this whole season. Yeah. Um, Marty Marty Noxon has a really interesting quote. She says, the scene in which Dracula implies that Buffy would make an amazing vampire thematically resonates with the questions of identity with which Buffy struggles through season five. It was about the mythology of what it was to be a slayer and what it was to be the best or the greatest in your field. Dracula is saying to her, darkness is your gift. You have some of me in you. He was sort of urging her to take her gift in a different direction. And we just thought that he was symbolic of somebody who had reached the pinnacle of his au revoir. And he was saying, you could be my queen. He basically thought she'd make an amazing vampire. And that to me was thematically resonating with all the questions of identity that Buffy goes through in season five. So it's basically the same thing we were saying. But I think that's so interesting because season four was all about identity and it was all about like not fighting your nature not fighting who you truly are and not trying to hinder that. And so then the next step in season five is what if your nature is something not good? What if your nature is worse than the things that you fight? What if your nature is something that needs to be controlled and is dangerous? Um, Mm. And that's a really interesting question. Well, I mean, even so then, like we haven't gotten many questions or we haven't gotten any questions answered um, off of what Buffy's feeling. And especially in this moment, she has like this like – epiphany or this like flash of all the different sides of the slayer in this moment Mm -hmm. and then it kind of snaps her out of it but i think it's kind of like this like revelation moment of being like oh so like he sees this side of me like she tells giles later he sees a side of me that i'm not even aware of and there's been something going on with me that he noticed right away so i need to like definitely check in with that um which i love they use that to have her snap out of it Yes. Mark Field writes, using the Slayer power is good. Completely giving into it is not. Both Tara and Buffy's dream and Restless and Dracula have used the same words talking about Buffy's nature. Buffy's realizing there's a part of herself that is drawn to the darkness. And now the bad guy, Dracula, is telling her that she's the same as him. Buffy fears that she may be just as monstrous or more so than the things she slays. And then Marty, again, has another quote, but she says, 
Thematically, what we were going for was Dracula represents a kind of dark side that Buffy feels she has in her. The scene in which Dracula makes Buffy bite him continues to explore the theme we had explored in season four, which was how much of her power comes from inside of her that is a killer. And we went as far as to have her actually take from Dracula because in a way we were saying it's already there. This is the side of the Slayer she has to make peace with. Either she's going to go all the way and embrace the darkness or she's going to find a way to live with it. Those are constant themes in our show, which is about how you deal with power and and how you deal with your own darker impulses without becoming self-destructive or destructive to other people. And I was like, ooh, this is so juicy. But I like that we're adding an element to Buffy. Like, I I don't want her to just be Buffy the Slayer, like black and white. Like, it's, it's interesting. Cutter. Yeah, it's interesting to add something to her. And I mean, it also makes logical sense. I mean, when you're dealing with dark stuff all the time, there's no way it's not going to tap your soul a bit. Like, there's yeah. no way that there, there's not going to be a pull. And it makes her more human. So Buffy snaps out of it. They start fighting. Um, she's fully out of his thrall. And then we see um, Riley opens up the same door, almost falls through, spots Giles and pulls him out. <laughs> Giles is like, wait, I'm so silly. My shoe's back in there. Let me go get it. <laughs> Riley, best line of his for this episode. No, sir. No more chick pit for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead. Um, back in the dining area, they're still fighting. He's like yeeting her across the room like several times. It's like, dang. Mm-hmm. Buffy had some pretty cool moves herself. I felt like they really amped up Buffy's power. The fact that she jumps yeah. at one point. I was like, this is like angel level moves here. Yep. Um, she finds a torch um, and then he disappears. And I love how that she like kind of like clocks where he's like about to pop up, spins over, jumps on top of the banister and stakes him right as he becomes flesh. And then yep. she says, how do you like my darkness now? And then he dusts. Ooh, good line. The boys come back in. <laughs> and then Xander comes in. He's like, where's the creep that turned me into a spider eating man pitch? <laughs> I've got a flaming anima with his name on it. <laughs> I finished being everyone's butt monkey. <laughs> they honestly gave Xander a lot of really good comedic moments in yeah. this episode. Yep. He's like, I can get the funny syphilis, you know, referencing pangs. <laughs> I, I get. Again, with the subversion of the genre, it's significant that all three of the most important men in Buffy's life come in trying to rescue her, and she's already saved herself. In the original ending, they were supposed to come in, and then Buffy was supposed to use the torch to kind of like scare away Dracula, and then he was just supposed to leave. She wasn't actually supposed to stake him. I mean, it's still kind of one of those things where it's like he probably didn't actually leave because you see him like pop up a couple other times. No. But I like that she like stakes him twice, you know? Yeah. Um, and then Riley's like, hey, it could have been worse. You could have been making time with the Draco babes like Giles. <laughs> this is the only scene I liked Riley in. I know. He actually was funny this moment. He was like, he's like cracking up like to himself. He was like, oh, that was a good one. Giles is like, I had everything under control. <laughs> Giles is like, come on, man. Stop cock blocking me. This is the first time I've gotten some. Yeah, and then Dracula pops up one more time. Buffy stakes him again. It's like, you don't you don't think I want I don't want your movies? Do you always come back? And then I just love the little <laughs> the little like shadows. And she's like, I'm standing right here. That part always gets me every time. 
<clears throat> and second to last scene here, this is kind of what we hinted at earlier. We see that Giles calls Buffy over to what we think he's going to be telling her that he's going to leave, to which we're all very proud and also surprised that they decided to kind of like really show what Buffy's feeling this episode, but then also for her to verbalize it just really confirms and um, reiterates the fact that Buffy has and always will be emotionally aware. It's just the fact that she allows herself space to really deal with it in the moment. Because, like, Buffy Buffy's is not... like, they always give her, like, an episode where she's, like, really feeling out of it. Yeah. But she she's pretty quick to snap herself yeah. back from, um, which is impressive. It's whether she feels safe enough to really fully feel what she wants to feel. It's not that she's not aware of what she's feeling. Um, which I just love about her. I love that they just like make her that just emotionally mature and aware. I just love that about her. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's like, like, oh, he he tells her like, hey, you can go first. And she's like, hey, you haven't really been my watcher. I haven't quite needed you for some time. And you see him being like, it's one of those moments where it's like, you know that they know that, but them saying it out loud is like a different type of hurt. So hearing, having Giles hear that, you could see in his face he's like in that moment he's like convinced himself that Buffy's like I don't need you anymore mm-hmm. um and but she never says that in the beginning she just says that like I haven't needed you as a watcher she uses it as his job title not him as a person um she mm-hmm. says that I have I've been going out at night um and uses the word hunting which is the word that Dracula used and she's like he was right there's this darkness in me that that I'm afraid is there that I don't know about myself there's so much about my power I still have yet to learn um and I can utilize it to the best of my ability if I understand that side to my, of myself and that she needs his help and that she couldn't do it without him and asks him to be her watcher again and he looks so touched yeah, Passion the Nerd points out that in the opening, she finds catharsis by going out and killing things. And in the closing, she finds it by reaching for her connections. And that just shows massive growth on Buffy's end that she recognizes that she needs that, that she's confused. And it would be so easy for her to just kind of continue doing what she's doing and be like, I'll figure it out myself. But she's learned. She's learned from season three and watching Faith and you know, watching all the other things that have happened and, and experiencing what happens when she pulls herself away from people. And I love this moment because in season four, everybody was so scattered and this is very intentionally coming back together. But it's very different because He's going to be her watcher, but we get the sense it's not going to be the way that it was in the first three seasons. He's going to be her watcher, but it's going to be on more of an equal level, um, which I think is extremely appropriate. And in the midst of all of this, when she says, I need your help, I need to be you to be my watcher again, the Buffy theme song comes in and it's just slower and it's played with the piano. It's slightly different, but it's showing that everything's falling into place. This is This is where it all needs to be. Yeah. Um, and you could just see in his eyes that Giles like – he doesn't say it and he decides to stay mentally mm-hmm. in that moment. And you can see that resolve in him where he is like processing what Buffy's saying. He is like, oh, I didn't realize this. And like a part of him, like you see, he's like, I have purpose again. Like I, I'm here for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, just great acting on Tony Head. Um, are we surprised? Absolutely not. And then this last scene, Buffy's apparently going out to the movies back at the house with um, Riley talking to Joyce. And then I just love how it's shot. It's like a lot of moving pieces. So it's like Joyce putting on her earrings, talking to Buffy across the hall. You see Buffy walking past her door, talking to her mom, 
walking into the room and then we see a young Michelle Trachtenberg. Mm-hmm. And then they have this immediate like sibling energy where she's like, why are you in here? <laughs> <laughs> the, honestly, it's insane that this is the first scene that we're seeing them together because yeah. they just knock it out of the park. Like they bicker, argue and fight like <laughs> The only way that you would know it's realistic is if you have siblings, because only siblings fight like that. <laughs> the fact that we find her in Buffy's room rifling through her stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's such a li- as a little sister, that's such a little sister thing to be like. Leo is nosy growing go up look. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, all little siblings are. Oh my gosh, you want to know what's going on? Like you just like if you can't be a part of it, you want to at least know what's going on. Spoken like someone who doesn't have younger siblings for herself. <laughs> Oh, no, I'm sure it was annoying. I, I'm fully aware it was annoying. It's just like, you just got to know. When you can't be a part of stuff because you're too young, you just got to know what's going on. Well, the worst part is Joyce being like, Buffy, if you're going to go out, why don't you just take your sister with you? Not, did you skip past the part where Buffy says, Riley and I are going to the movies? Yeah. <laughs> and then oh, I just, I mean, this really works with their chemistry right away because we know that they've worked together before mm-hmm. um, and they've known each other for years. And Sarah Michelle Geller was the one who kind of fought for Michelle Trachtenberg to play mm-hmm. her sister. So like just the sibling energy between them is already just perfect. And both yep. of them have the same facial expression. They both turn their like mom in the same pitch and it just goes to black and it's perfect. Just enough teasing. Uh, oh my goodness. What? A major twist. Where has this girl been? Has she been here the entire time? Is the show just – is Joss gaslighting us? Is it just shoving her in because they needed younger energy? We'll find out next time. Dun, dun. Oh, I'm so excited, guys. So excited. The season is just so, so good. So stoked. All right, guys, that was Buffy versus Dracula. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know what you thought of when Buffy's sister popped up for the first time. Did you watch in real time? Did you watch a couple of years later? Did you go immediately to the next episode because you had to know what happened? Um, What do you think of Buffy versus Dracula as an opener? Do you think it is on par with some of the other ones we've seen? Do you think it's weaker? Um, yeah, let us know your thoughts and definitely buy us a coffee if you haven't already and listen to our spoiler section on this episode. It's going to be so good. If there is ever a season to be a buy us a coffee subscriber, it's probably this one because there is so much that we're going to be talking about. Um, not just for this episode and not just for this season, but leading into the next few seasons, there's just some really great stuff. So we look forward to seeing you guys over there. As always, email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram. You can find us on TikTok and Tumblr. Let us know your guys' thoughts, your predictions, and any of your takes that you have about this episode or future ones. We want to hear from you guys. As always, thanks so much for listening and we will see you next time.